Welcome to Beyond the Board, a podcast that explores the themes and real-life inspirations behind our favorite games. On today's episode of Beyond the Board, we'll be discussing the game Netrunner. Netrunner is a collectible card game designed by Richard Garfield and published by Wizards of the Coast in 2012. Netrunner is for two players, and a typical game takes 45 minutes to play. Enjoy the episode! So if you were a lumberjack, what would you wear? Uh, I, I'm i a green man myself. I know the traditional red and black is the go-to flannel, but I like a good green and black. Is it so you can blend in with the trees? Yeah, <laughs> because I'm terrified of bears. <laughs> that's good. Let's hope they don't climb you. They might. Just, just stand still. That's, As they say, that's, that's pretend to be a to tree. Do, yeah. <laughs> I learned that in fifth grade. <laughs> Not that kind of hack, Mike. No, oh, not lumberjack hacking. You're talking about hacking hacking. Well, I'm Mike Riemann. I'm Spencer Campbell. And this is Beyond the Board. This week we're talking about the game Netrunner. Yes, Netrunner, which is a favorite of Spencer Campbell's. I do. I do love this game quite a bit. It's a card game. Uh, it was created by Richard Garfield. He's the same guy who designed and created Magic the Gathering. Oh, yeah. Are you a Magic kid? <laughs> no, I played Pokemon. Uh, my... <laughs> My dad thought magic had a lot of pagan symbols on it ah, and sure, threw sure. away my brother's cards. Gotcha. Like, didn't even get to keep it. Probably be worth some money now. I had a I had a neighbor who, he was older than me, so I thought he was the coolest guy in the world when I was in fifth grade. <laughs> and he, he taught me magic, and he so he actually hand, he gave me like a ton of cards when he moved on to being a cooler kid. So I had <laughs> I have this big old stack of old magic cards uh, that I have kind himself. of slowly collected and added on to. Uh, so Netrunner... <laughs> <laughs> is that style of game, this idea of a, a 1v1 card game, but we're no longer in the fantastical realm of, you know, these kind of like elves and dwarves and magic and whatnot. We're in the cyberpunk future. Ooh, which is sort of the past. <laughs> yeah, exactly, because this is, this is kind of inspired by those 1980s cyberpunk sort of feel where... You know, you still have a lot of, like, wired connections when today we probably wouldn't have any of those wired connections. Um, but it's, th- it's this idea of two people playing against one another. One of them is playing as the mega corporation, the corp. And they are in charge of trying to create a system of security that defends their precious, precious files. They essentially have these things hidden behind servers that they're trying to protect and keep and access on their own. And they're putting up all these security defenses, a thing called ICE, these counter-intrusion sort of um, programs that are meant to stop the other player. Mm -hmm, Who's the hacker. And the hacker has, uh, they build rigs to try to break through these programs in these ICE walls to try to get to these certain files that the corporation is hiding. And the corporation doesn't have to show which files they're hiding, and they could actually have traps that are set for these mm-hmm. hackers trying to get in. So you think they're setting up defense uh, for for a file, and they're really just setting you into a trap. So imagine, basically, on the board, you have these... You're, you're creating these, like, s- stacks of cards that are basically rigs. Or no, you're creating your whole rig yourself yeah. that will go through these lines of cards on the opposite player side, on the corp side. Yeah, so the, the corp is building all these servers that have defense measures, or like you said, these traps, or these valuable files, and then they have their deck that they're constantly pulling from and trying to continue to add and build up their defenses while the, the hacker is constantly trying to build up their rig and build programs that are meant to break through certain types of ice and security measures, and it's this kind of back and forth as you 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 have to kind of 
decide what do I need to prioritize this turn? Do I need money? Do I need some more resources? Do I need more cards? Can I make an attempt at trying to access a file or attack them? And you go back and forth until one player essentially gets a certain number of points that are valued based off of these uh, valuable files that everyone is vying for in the game. And to give you a mental picture of what it looks like, the corporation will have files in one line, and then they'll have columns of defense for each file. Mm. So the person, the hacker who's building the rig, will attack one line at a time if they want to make an attack, just to give you an idea of what it looks yeah. like. This is one of my, it's a it's a favorite of mine, like Mike mentioned, because it's a great two-player game. It's a, it's a card game. I like card deck-building games. But the nice thing about Netrunner is if you've always been scared of playing Magic or something like that, because... Where do you start? I mean, there are there are whole... Like, you have to build your own deck, and you have to understand deck building and theory and strategy behind it. And, like, what, what certain cards to put in there and what's 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 good about having a more powerful card opposed to a less, less powerful card. Right. You have, to, you have to understand a lot about the game and those sorts of games before you can even get started. Netrunner, you can buy the box on its own, and it has four corporations with pre-made decks in them and three runners, three hackers in it, pre-made, ready to go for you right away. They're, they're relatively well-balanced. You can, It gives you options on how to customize them, but you can play those decks as is, and you would be just fine. Mm-hmm. And, of course, they've come out with plenty of expansions to where you can get, I don't even countless amounts of hackers and corporations, and they all play differently. They all mm-hmm. have special tactics that they use to either make runs or to keep up defenses yeah some of the hackers are meant to try and place these viruses in while other hackers are trying to make a bunch of money you know certain corporations are all about tagging and following the hacker while others are trying to create these just colossal walls of ice and things like that and the the thing that distinguishes this game from other card games is it's a it's a living card game it's a collectible card game rather than a trading card game which means when you buy an expansion, you actually know exactly what cards are going to be in it. You're not buying booster packs like in Magic, and you're just hoping like, man, I really hope I get a useful card in this pack. When you buy something from Netrunner, you know what's going to be inside, which is kind of nice. So you can you can cater your purchases. It's not going to be as much of a money sink as something like Magic uh, in terms of knowing what type of deck you do want to build. But the replay value is still really good because you can... First of all, you can slightly customize your decks, and second of all, you can go in any combination against hacker versus corp. And you're gonna, like I said before, you're gonna have different defenses, so the game's gonna be different every time. And it ends up being a lot of fun. I've only played it a couple times, but I know it's one of Spencer's favorite games. Mm-hmm. And when we do get a chance to play it, it it's a lot of fun. There's a lot more strategy than than what it seems like, um, and there's a lot of uh, things that you can hold back and, and keep from your opponent, mm-hmm. which which makes the strategy game and the secretive kind of hacking and uh, attacking your corporations yeah. a lot more fun. It makes it, it makes it a lot of fun. And that idea that you mentioned there <laughs> links up with exactly what we're hoping to talk about here today, which is hacking. What is, mm-hmm. what is hacking? What is this whole process? And a large part about hacking is this idea of having access to files that you're not supposed to get access to or, you know, hiding resources from people that you don't want to see these particular files or information or any, what what have you. So Netrunner plays this out perfectly. And so what we're going to do today is talk a little bit about hacking. Now, 
you know, to start off, we're not here to teach you how to hack. I don't think we could. I don't think we could if we tried. I don't. I don't think so. <laughs> but maybe how to download a, a movie, right? At best. Um, but we're going to try and give you a brief overview of what hacking is, a little bit of history of hacking, just so you have a better understanding of maybe the the roots of where this super cyber crazy futuristic hacking in Netrunner comes from. Mm-hmm. So we should probably start off by saying we've been saying this word hacking so much and it is a it's a relatively popular term. Most people know what it is, but well people I, I think the most common term of hacking is either computers mm-hmm. or like bugging or hacking your phone or something along the lines of that. Or, or people think life hack too. That's another way of thinking about it. It's it's another way of going about things to get what you want. Uh, and so when you think about life hacking, that's where that term is referring to. Right. We're, we're specifically going to be focusing on this idea of computer hacking for today's discussion by and large. We'll, we'll mention some other ideas about hacking, but for the most part, we're talking about this idea of someone who's trying to find a weakness in a, in a computer or a security system or a network of some sort and exploiting that weakness so that they can gain access to it, either to take something from that system, to put something inside the system, uh, something malicious maybe, or even just to change things. So when we're talking about hacking, we're talking today about this idea of computer hacking. Um, by and large, that's what we'll be talking about. The interesting thing is hacking as a word in terms of its association with computer hacking is a little bit controversial, actually, depending on who you're talking to. Mm-hmm. A lot of programmers, computer programmers, actually want to be able to use the word hacker in a, a relatively positive sense. They want it to be a descriptor for someone who just, they know how to work a computer. They know the ins and outs of computer systems, of security, of networks. And a hacker is just someone who is adept at using those things. When they're, they're trying to push this idea of it's a, it's a cracker, uh, someone who cracks into a system, it, like a safe cracker, essentially, uh, from, from old. Not uh, like a 90s term for like a white boy. No, not quite. <laughs> Although a lot of the hackers that we'll be talking about are definitely that sort of you know, most likely crackers. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the, we're not going to use the, the term cracker. We're going to use hacker for this probably because it is the the colloquial term that's what most people use when sure. they're, they're talking about these different types of hackers that's just more of a pc thing nowadays that mm. people are trying to get back I'm like no 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 i'm a hacker but i'm a, I'm a good hacker <laughs> yeah we, we should actually talk about that there are these different <coughs> types of hackers then so mm-hmm. a hacker is a catch-all for this idea of someone who accesses computers or networks when they're not authorized to but there are actually different types of hackers depending on their intent so you have Black hats, they're called black hats. These are the hackers that you're probably thinking of when we say hacker. These are the people who are, they have malicious intent in mind. And if you think black hat, think, I mean, I know we go back to the Wild West a lot, but think the villains. They're the ones who wear the black hat. These, or even back in the early 1900s, the ones that wear the top hats, they're usually black hats with the big nasty mustaches. That which That's why you hear the term black hat. But then you also have um, a gray hat, Mm-hmm. which is somebody who can do everything, but they do it for money. Yeah, more or less. It's like a, um, a money thing or even just like a personal test for themselves. Mm. Like, can I get access to this thing? Can I get through this? And if I can, sometimes they'll shoot a, a message to the administrator or whoever runs that network or computer and go, hey, by the way, just so you know, I'm in. I got in. 
why don't you throw me a little bit of money and I can fix this hole that uh-huh. you have in your system? Yeah, yeah, and hopefully they don't put in another hole. Right, they don't leave a back door. That kind of makes the them. That kind of makes them a black hat. <laughs> right, kind of switches them over. But there's also something called a white hat, and another reference to the Wild West. If you think white hats, you think you're you're John Wayne. You think you're sheriffs. They wear those big white. 10-gallon hats, and they're the ones who who are actively trying to protect everything, uh, knows the ins and outs of the system, um, basically what people are trying to make hackers nowadays and not crackers. Right. They're the ones who, who are hired by the government or hired uh, for these certain security systems, and they know how to hack, but they do it for good. It's oftentimes, actually, it's not unheard of for a, a black hat or even a gray hat to get busted and then the government will basically offer them a choice of, okay, you broke the law, you can go to jail, or you got skills, you're, you're, you're pretty good here. Work for us, essentially, and uh, you can kind of help out with your sentence by working as a white hat under our supervision. I guess they get a new um, screen name, though. Probably, Probably. hopefully so. <laughs> I think uh, that's what the guy in House of Cards was the the hacker. I don't know if you've ever if you ever watched House of Cards, but there's a much like the last episode of the season. Oh, there's a there's a hacker in it, and he I forget his name. He's the he's the, actually the guy the main character in Westworld. Mm, uh, gotcha. The, the show, and he plays a essentially a, a sort of white hat in terms of he was he was a hacker that was busted, and the government was like, you will now work for us, and you're going to do the things that we want you mm-hmm. to do sort of situation. Now, all of these hackers that we've been talking about, these are proper hackers. These are people who know what they're doing. They know how to actually work the systems. They're going through code. They're building programs that actually allow them to do these things. They understand the guts of the computer and how to get to it. And they can also improvise on the spot. So if something were to go wrong, they know how to quickly divert it or push it a different way. They're the guys you see in heists that are constantly like on the system in the van right. while they're all inside the uh, the building or they're trying to get through the streets and hitting the red lights and they're like, no, hold on a second, I'm going right. to change it to green. They're, they're the ones so who are, fast. Yeah, they're the ones who are consistently changing um, and consistently adapting. Uh, but you also have something called a script kitty. Yeah. And and these guys create basically a an automated script that runs everything for them opposed to actively participating. And the thing is, these people are typically aren't even the ones creating the tools. They just go to a site, they, they, they're a big fan of Anonymous, and so they, you know, they think Anonymous is super cool, they like their Guy Fox mask, and they want to be a part of hacking, and so they, they go and they download some program that allows them to basically just click run, and it'll go do the hack mm-hmm. for them. They have no training or real any skill in terms of how to do hacking. They purely just do this for mostly malicious intent or to feel like they fit into a hacking community. For those who don't know, explain what Anonymous is. Yeah, so all of these hackers, sometimes they, they form a group called a hacktivist group instead of an activist group. <laughs> That's good, a good portmanteau. <laughs> Anonymous is maybe one of the more recent, one of the bigger ones. That is, it's a large organization that works, they, they consider themselves white hats in that they are, they're working for the good of mankind rather than trying to cause malicious harm. Now they do harm, but they, they're doing harm to people that they believe deserve it. So they, they out, uh, pedophiles and, you know, racists and like Ku Klux Klan membership. Like they find these details and they go, here you go world. Look at all of this. Look, Look how bad these terrible are. things. Right. So these hacktivist groups kind of usually end up in 
one of two camps, or they or they blend into the two of this idea of freedom of freedom of information. Mm-hmm. They want everyone to know everything that's going on. No, no secrets. This is the idea of like WikiLeaks and Edward Snowden. Yeah. Like we have the right to know this sort of information that shouldn't be held back from the public. Mm-hmm. Which was, I mean, we'll talk about that later. But that was huge. <laughs> yeah, and then you have groups that do what is effectively cyber terrorism to attack hate groups or to attack groups mm-hmm. that they feel should not have any sort of presence on the web, or if they do have a presence on the web, it's a malicious presence and it needs to be removed. And so luckily most of the time they don't have that great of security. Yeah. They, they're <laughs> usually not very good at it. And so groups like anonymous will come in and they will mess with it. They'll, they'll change the website like the uh, Westboro church. That, yeah. Yeah. They're, Without getting too much into it, they're a very controversial group, and they're oftentimes the target of a lot of uh, hacktivism in terms of warping the messages that are on their website or accessing or distributing personal information about the people, which you can say is good or bad depending on the extent to which they are attacked. Sure, yeah. Like changing their website to say a different, maybe a more loving message, you could probably make an argument that that's good. But to distribute the addresses and names of all of the members of like a particular organization, you really shouldn't be doing that. Yeah. That that lead that can lead to dangerous situations. For sure. But you have all these hackers, all these different types of hackers. And it links back to this idea that we talked about with Netrunner, where you choose the runner that you want to be, the the criminal that you want to be, and each criminal runs differently based off of their own personal agenda, what they believe to be important. Like you have a runner who's all about making money. So all of his abilities in his deck is about getting credits as fast as he possibly can, while others are about anarchy and just spreading crazy viruses. And so that's their rigs are primarily meant to just cause devastating destruction. And so the runner that you pick kind of can can map onto your own personal feelings about cybersecurity or cyberterrorism or mm-hmm. whatnot. Yeah. Uh, now, when going through a hack, uh, they usually have uh, certain steps that they take. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, first of all, they, they do a lot of research and discover uh, information about their target. So if, if you're, I mean, depending on what you're doing. Um, so they'll have to do a lot of research before they start busting down the walls. Uh, and it's all reconnaissance. It's just getting as much information as possible. And that's a good hacker will do that instead of just going for it. Right, um, like in a bank robbery, you don't just yeah. point to a bank and go, we're going to rob that bank, and you just walk in and rob it. You you should probably scope it out a little bit, understand the security systems of it, understand the when is it open, when is it closed, how yeah, often is it? Can I get in here? Right. Like, is it, if I do get in here, is there a way to get out? Mm-hmm. Uh, which I, I feel like in a lot of hacks, I mean, I know you're talking about bank robbery, you're physically in this place, but uh, with hacks, you have now with your IP address and you have all these things that link you back through the internet. And if you don't have your bases as covered, can, like, can you get through that? And right. can you stick in or stick around in there? Yeah, no electronic paper trail. Can mm-hmm. you can you leave without a trace? Yeah, and with that, when you're looking and scoping out the place, you're also looking for weaknesses. Mm-hmm. Is there are are there are there windows you can get through? Uh, I'm, I'm thinking bank robberies. Right sure, right. <laughs> uh, but are are there escape like are there ways to get out? Are there ways to if you did get the information, if you trip something, can you get it out of there uh, without without too much of an alarm? Right. Um, and then, of course, the the next step you would do is exploiting uh, all those weaknesses. I mean, if you've got if you've got a, a a way a back door into this system, you're going to definitely check it. But the only way to find that out is, is to go into the system to begin with. So you definitely do your research. Yeah. So it's and it makes sense to use this analogy to a bank robbery. It makes it helps understand it is 
you do your research, you do your recon, you look to see what sort of weaknesses are, and then you go rob the bank. And mm-hmm. that's essentially what they're doing with hacking is they're, they're checking out a system, finding weaknesses or holes in the system that they can exploit, exploiting them to get in and do whatever it is that they had intended to do and getting out. Mm-hmm. Imagine going through, like, uh, just say if you're going to r- rob a house or, or something and you, you enter the front gate and you're willingly allowed to go into the front gate and you're walking around this front gate or in this yard and what you're doing is you could basically be poking all the fence posts to see if anything's loose. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay, this fence post in this part of the yard is loose. That's a way I can get out. Sure. Uh, and I think with hackers, what they'll do is they'll go in and they'll basically try to find, they'll poke around and just like send send little codes mm-hmm. here and there to see what can be broken. Or like it could be anything from just certain scripts in like just say if, if it's a website, certain mm-hmm. scripts that might if you can break this, it'll destroy something else, and then you can slip right in. Right. So we should. That's that's the basic of what a a, a heist is. Now we can talk hack. a little. Uh, <laughs> that's right. Uh, and a heist. Uh, yes, a hack. That, that's what an idea of a hack is. So let's talk about some of the certain types of hacks or ways that people hack in general. Now, again. We're not teaching you how to do any of these things. Number one, because we're not qualified to teach you. Uh, number two, it's probably not a good idea for us to broadcast to the world how to hack into computer systems. It's also illegal. It's, yeah, it's very illegal to do pretty much everything that we're talking about today. So what a lot of people do is, like you said, there's this idea of finding vulnerabilities. And sometimes a hacker will create... A scanning tool of sorts that will just scan a, a network, for instance, or a, a particular individual computer for entryways into it. And it just, it's, this is kind of the recon part of it. It's what are the entryways into this place? What are the, what's the security like at these entryways so that you have that information so that you can make a more informed decision on how to approach the hack? Now, there are these tools, but some people actually reverse engineer and go through the code manually if they can access the code, and then they're looking line by line in the code for weaknesses at that point in time. It really kind of depends on the the structure and the strength of the system that they're trying to attack. A, a tool might not be efficient against a particularly strong system because it's meant to defend against that sort of thing. You might have to comb through it for the teeniest, tiniest little weakness that you might be able to exploit. But then... Once you've once you've found these weaknesses, what do you do with them, or how do you how do you hack into the system after that? Well, one way you can do it is just straight brute force. Just go the whole hog. And when when we say brute force hacking, what this typically means is just repeated and usually scripted or you know procedural password guessing is mostly what we're talking about here. So you produce a a program or use a a system of some sort that will generate and continue to guess passwords for a particular thing that you have gained some information about and just it guesses one password after another and computers are way faster than us at this point in time (laughs) they can guess millions of passwords in seconds and so it's just boom 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 until it eventually it just forces its way into the into the system Mm -hmm. another way is called spoofing um and it's a program that blends in and becomes trusted by, by whatever system you're trying to go uh, through and it allows you in. Uh, the way I like to think about it is, okay, if you're hacking a bank website mm-hmm. and uh, you could stay at that front page and try to get in, try to get in, try to get in. But if you just create a username and a password, 
you're already past that that first wall, basically, and you're in. That's a simple way of mm-hmm. describing it. I don't know if that actually works. Well, and oftentimes, it's it's even programs on a computer sort of thing. So mm-hmm. it's it's. I mean, when we're talking about these things like malware or spyware and things like that, these are programs that you will inadvertently download onto your computer, and mm-hmm. they blend in. They look like trusted programs that your your computer, as an administrator, thinks this program is fine. It belongs here, and then that doesn't actually belong there. It's a door that that person has just put into your system for them to walk through when they're ready. Yeah. Uh, do you remember BearShare? No. It was a peer-to-peer network. Uh, sharing thing like, oh, like Napster Lime or LimeWire, Kazaa, any of those ones, and, sure. and uh, we always called it, or I, uh, me and Tyler always called it, bear sharing your computer. And mm-hmm. Basically, what that means is you, you're like, oh, I like this song, and so you'll go and you'll find that song and download it. But they're like, oh, click it, oh, it's not opening. I guess it's not the wrong song, and you think you delete it, but you're really just throwing just Trojans and, right. and malware on your computer and bear sharing your computer is basically we have so many of that. It just bricks up and you can't do anything with your computer. Yeah. But and yeah. And that happens. So and the spoofing that this idea of those programs could be used for gaining access mm-hmm. to get information off the computer or they eventually will just, they could be used to destroy your computer or make it useless. Like the, the bricking <laughs> that you described right there. A good example of that is, uh, I mean, if you're going back to a heist, I know I mentioned Butch Cassidy way too much in our our other podcast, but that one part where they're trying to open account and they want to see how uh, secure the safe is, and they just let him right in. Mm -hmm. They walk him right downstairs, unlocks the safe, and then he holds a gun to him. And that actually leads really nicely into the the next type of hacking, which is this idea of the social aspect of it, Mm -hmm. social engineering, because whenever you're doing this at Ultimately, you will be dealing with a person or there is a person involved in this beyond the hacker themselves at some level, either the person who owns the computer that you're trying to break Mm -hmm. into or the administrator that runs the network that you're trying to gain access to. There is some person in there that you can interact with at a human level at a either by talking to them in person or by messaging them that, you know, like you said, create a fake account and message them and say, hey, I'm having trouble accessing blank. I, can you help me out? Or And you've already got the information of, of how you can back all that information up because you were able to access some files elsewhere that wasn't as protected, and so you created this fake user. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. You, you do some name dropping maybe. Maybe you were able to access some, some basic information about people who work at the company that you're trying to break into, and so you do some some name dropping or some... Some threats, or even go, you know, you catch more flies with honey, uh, you be sweet talking. Just be the distraught user who can't gain access, and you're so frustrated with this computer. I don't understand my computer. Please, I just need help. <laughs> help, help. I just barely know how to use this chat. Right. <laughs> and the admin might then inadvertently allow you access to something that you're not supposed to have access <clears throat> to. And most of the time, you get that from your recon mm-hmm. beforehand. That's why it's important to do that for a heist hack. Right. <laughs> now, I guess before we jump into these other things, one last way that people get into computers is this thing called a, a keylogger. Have you ever heard of a keylogger, a keystroke logger, anything like that? They're these programs that you, it's again, a thing that you don't realize that you're downloading that. Ah, yes, I it, do know. It records all of your keystrokes throughout a day, everything that you type into your computer and. That person then can download that record of all the keystrokes and use a little bit of social or reverse engineering and look back and try and understand 
what keystrokes are associated with perhaps password entry into mm-hmm. particular websites or accessing the computer in the first place. And then, boom, they now know exactly what they need to type in in mm-hmm. order to get access to whatever it is they're looking for. It's almost like, uh, I mean, going back to heists, uh, this, is, this is all just virtual heists. Exactly. But if you go back to it, you think about, okay, there are a four-digit code for this panel on this door. What are they going to do? They're going to spray it with something, ultraviolet light, see where the fingerprints are, Okay, it's those four digits. I have an X amount of of times that I can try this out. Right. And you basically kind of know the code based on that. Exactly. So eventually they this hacker will get access. When they get access, it's a matter of what do they do while they're in there. Well, sometimes they are there to access or change information. Sometimes they're there to take something. Uh, oftentimes when something is left behind, it's either in the form of like a virus or a worm which are typically malicious in intent. They're there to destroy a system, destroy essential files, ruin a computer. Worms are terrible. Uh, they, they're basically a file that once you open it up, and, and it's just, not even attached to anything else. It's just a thing that once it starts, it yeah. runs wild. It, you just, yeah. It's very hard to stop it once it... And you know, if we look at the history of hacks, there's been some pretty devastating worm attacks because they spread like wildfire. Um, and then there are there are viruses, and then there's a uh, Trojan horse. Mm-hmm. I remember <laughs> hearing about Trojans like a long time ago, and like well, well, all of my script you kitty mean, like maybe in the Roman days. I mean, yeah, but like all my script kitty friends who like thought they were super cool, edgy hacktivists in <laughs> middle school. Really, what they were doing is they were downloading pre-made Trojans and like would threaten people who you know, oh man, you gotta be nice to me or I'm gonna send a Trojan your way. And I remember thinking, <laughs> what are they talking about? And it's this, it's a program. It's it's this. It's under the line of spoofing, where it's a program that looks fine upon pr- presentation. You say, oh good, this is that song that I wanted to download off of Bear Share, and then you download it, and it 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 blends into your computer, and then it it basically is a backdoor. And when we say a backdoor, we just mean an access point under the computer or system that the hacker has easy way to get through. It's now basically you just, you you added a door to your house that has a set of keys that the criminal, that the robber has, that they can just let themselves in whenever they want. <laughs> um, so th- this, that's this idea of what a, a Trojan is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot, of, uh, a lot of the times if a company is smart or a corporation is smart, uh, what they'll do is they'll actually set traps for a hacker. So you get through a certain part, and the worm could actually backfire on the hacker. Mm-hmm. And so they set up all this stuff as booby traps, basically, getting into your corporation. And it goes right back to Netrunner. Um, you have all these files that you set up, and if and if you have these files out, you can get points, but you also want to fool the hacker into going down this one route all of a sudden to just be hit with a trap or hit with a worm or a virus that'll knock them out. So it's it's all it's defensive measures as well. Like corporations do have certain things, a la Netrunner as well. Yeah, exactly. Those ideas of, of tagging the runner, where mm-hmm. you, you, you place a tag on them, you're able to trace them back. You know where to find them, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Where you can, And in Netrunner, they even have it to the point where you're not just attacking each other through the, the cyber system, but you can take what's called meat damage because... Your physical body is being attacked because the corp knows where you are and they send some corporate thugs to go rough you up, that sort of thing. So this idea of being able to trace back to a physical location. Not even my mani- meat body. It even manifests itself in, in Netrunner there. So that's that's the basics of 
hacking in terms of what is hacking culture? What is what is what do we mean by hacking? Maybe some different types of hacking, but by no means are we trying. Again, have we taught you how to hack? <laughs> um, but we we're, we hope to make you a little bit more informed in terms of what hacking is and understand how people go about hacking mm-hmm. and how people go about defending hacking. Exactly. Um, but we're going to talk a little bit more about the history of hacking and just some notable. Uh, just real quick, we're going to rapid fire. Just some quick. Uh, uh, notable hacking events that have happened in the past. Um, I was surprised how far <laughs> back it went. By the way. I, I guess you, if you if you took the term hacking, sure, right. and not talking about chopping down a tree, uh, mm-hmm. which I think before, I think the 1950s, that's what it always was referred mm-hmm. to. Like the hack in the, op, uh, in the dictionary was, was uh, I think I have it done here, cut with heavy blows in an irregular or random fashion. Sure. Yeah, and uh, and it's always been that way. It has never had to deal with computers. And you I, even have that idea of a, an actor who's a hack or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, what a hack. Exactly. Um, the first, I think, time hack was introduced, the word hack, it was an MIT, and uh, it first came to mean fussing with machines. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was it was in, like, the log... Uh, in a, in a tech model railroad club in April 1955 at MIT, uh, it says, Mr. Eccles requests that anyone working or hacking on the electrical system turn the power off to avoid fuse blowing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because he was just hacking away on the electrical system. That's where the term hack first really started coming gotcha. into computers. But when we talk about the act of hacking or accessing electrical or computer networks that you don't have access to we can actually step back even further than that if we go back believe it or not to 1903 Mm -hmm. there this is when marconi uh, who is largely related to this idea of wireless telegraphy or you know radio essentially uh he was there was supposed to be a demonstration of some of his tech and a trickster of sorts, a real scamp, a, a magician slash inventor named Neville Maskelyne, uh, he, he, he basically hacked into the system, if you will, and during this presentation in front of a bunch of people, sent out rude and insulting Morse code over this system <laughs> rather than the intended message to, to be sent out to the crowd. <laughs> so it, it jumps all the way back there in terms of this idea of people... Getting into things that they should not be in, ter- in terms of this wireless or computer or tech-based uh, in way. Electrical, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, another, uh, we, we talked about it before in um, Codenames, uh, our boy Alan Turing. Uh, he used the brute force approach that we talked about before to break the Enigma machine. Mm-hmm. So just constantly just pounding at it, pounding at it until they could figure out exactly how to break that code. Mm-hmm. In... We're going to jump to 1957 here, and I remember hearing about this actually on a Radio Lab podcast episode. It's a really, really cool episode on this on this thing called freaking, uh, P H R E A K. Pretty hot and reeking. Exactly. <laughs> freaking is this idea that of of accessing telephone networks and, uh, and abusing them or using them to your own intent. So freakers, there there was a boy actually who realized that in the old the way that the switches worked in phone systems, it was tones. It was all tonal based. That's why they the buttons make noise when you when you type them mm-hmm. into a phone. Those would help the switches understand who you're calling by whistling a certain frequency. He was actually able to access and 
essentially hack the phone system. And so freakers would use these tones then to make free long-distance calls around the world and things like that. So in 1957 is where we start to see this other area of hacking, phone hacking, starting in, in the origin of freaking. <laughs> it's just so funny to me. Just um, and whistle the tone. Okay, now I got long Right, exactly. Long distance. Now, you, now you can call you know, anywhere <laughs> in the world at that point in time. Uh, in 1980, the FBI uh, defined hackers, uh, so you actually knew who were hackers and what they were doing, and they also pointed out how useful they could be to the government, um, white hats um, primarily. And so that's when they really started using them and, and to the public, letting you know, hey, it's okay if we have hackers, they can do good. It was it was a really, it was an interesting write-up of where they say, like, these are people who are, they're just making the wrong sorts of decisions with their talent and pointed in the right direction. This could actually be useful sort of thing. So it was interesting because, yeah, that was in 1980. And then the 1980s is where we really see a rise of awareness and popularity of hacking culture in general. It's probably where cyberpunk really came from because, I mean, if you think about it, it's the futuristic 1980s grungy kind of situation. That's probably, I mean, that's that's where they got the idea for cyberpunk. Exactly. I mean, William Gibson, who wrote the Sprawl trilogy, his, I mean, his quintessential book, Neuromancer, that's the book for cyberpunk. Anybody who's a cyberpunk fan... That's the origin. That came from the 1980s. It came from this all this idea of, of hacking and cybersecurity and breaking into the non-physical space of things. Mm. Um, and then we, in those 80s then, with that rise of popularity, we then see <laughs> Congress go, okay, hold on a second. This is actually illegal. And they, this is when they actually declared that it was illegal to break into a computer system. Mm. However, it did not apply to juveniles. So, so <laughs> all these script kiddies out there, <laughs> it, the law didn't quite apply to them just yet. Kids are stupid. They don't know what they're doing. <laughs> right. And, and they don't. They're just downloading these programs and spreading them maliciously. <laughs> uh, it's, it's interesting, then, as we leave the, the 80s and we go into the 90s, then, this is where we now see a bit of an overlap with the game community and hacking's role in it, in that Steve Jackson Games... They're, they're the company that make Munchkin, Munchkin. Yeah. and a lot of those other games. Yeah, they, they also make and publish a, a an RPG system called GURPS. And there's a very popular nowadays system called GURPS Cyberpunk. It's a, it's a source book that people use when they want to play pure cyberpunk. When they don't want the fantasy of Shadowrun, they play GURPS. And the FBI basically raided Steve Jackson Games, like the location, the headquarters... And they seized the GURPS playbook, thinking that it was a, a handbook for hackers. They thought that they were basically trying to use the guise of game design to produce a manual of teaching people how to hack. Uh, and it's just too funny to Right. Me. And so nowadays, it's a very popular system. <laughs> in the, also, then, in the 90s, that's when the world got connected. Mm-hmm. That's when the World Wide Web got spread. Thanks, Al Gore. Exactly. <laughs> And, you know, you get the widespread use of the World Wide Web, and hackers love that, because mm-hmm. now everyone is connected. And everyone has access to to getting those those scripts or those programs, so the script kiddies get all that access. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're talking about in middle school. We weren't that smart in middle school. We didn't right. have that kind of stuff, but you did. <laughs> but the, the thing also is, there, yeah, there's the sad part in that, yes, all of us are connected, so we're vulnerable to the hackers, but it also allowed the hacker communities to just recognize one another out there and find a little bit of solidarity and find 
like-minded people who do enjoy doing the things that they do. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2003, Anonymous was formed, mm-hmm. that uh, that group, that hacktivist group that we were talking about before. 2011, a uh, huge PlayStation hack. Uh, the PlayStation Network was um, uh, hacked, and 77 million people's personal info were hacked. And, gigantic. Yeah, and so they had to go off for a long time to figure out exactly what happened and to make sure everything's yeah. okay. <laughs> I think the network was down for at least a month. You couldn't get any online access to anything Sony or, per, or PlayStation related. And it was this big to-do of like, oh no, all of that information got out. It's That's, somewhere now. Right. Uh, and then, of course... Uh, uh, WikiLeaks. The later on, uh, Edward Snowden. That's a huge, huge thing that we could go in depth about. Uh, that's a whole podcast. That's a whole. That's a whole podcast on its own. But uh, yeah, basically, this guy who was working for the CIA uh, took an oath, which I think he even said that like his oath didn't specifically mm. like it said for the betterment of the people. Right. And he found out that the government was listening into everybody's conversations on the phones. And, and I know a lot of people like there's, there's people who see both different sides, but basically he saw that they were doing this. He released documents like classified documents that he wasn't supposed to and let everyone know. And then the government's like, you're, you're a traitor. And then there's a bunch of people who are like, no, he's a patriot because he's, he's really uh, upholding the constitution and saying, no, everyone has the right to know you guys are doing this. Um, and the government's like, no, we're just trying to keep people safe. But at the same time, it can be used in the wrong hands, all this information. So it's, it's, he, I mean, he's in Russia now, I think. Um, mm-hmm. He got sanctuary in Russia, so he's hanging out there. And I know there's a lot of interviews that I've, I've seen with him because he can still talk to people. Right. Um, but basically, yeah, he, he hacked the CIA. Uh, to release all that information. Yeah, he and Julian Assange are like the two mm-hmm. individuals who are typically associated with the modern-day hacktivism at this point in time. These are named individuals who have their names out there as opposed to anonymous, which is this idea of having no idea who is a member, who isn't a member, not knowing anything about each other. These are two individuals who say, here I am, this is my name, and I think this is wrong. Here's the information that people should know. Well, he realized that he had no choice right. because they're going to find out that he did it anyway. Right. And so he was already starting to leave mm-hmm. before they could even do anything. Good call. Um, yeah. <laughs> Smart on his part. So that's that's our overview of the history of hacking. That's our overview of what hacking is. Yeah. You know, hacking today is a... It's becoming more and more of a, a hot button or important issue to consider just given the fact that everything is connected. We're becoming more and more connected. It takes... A matter of moments before your entire life is accessed, depending on how much information that you're putting up online. You know, I see people who post everything about themselves on Facebook, and now it just takes one person getting access to your account. And I don't, you don't even need to hack anybody to get a lot of this personal information at this point in time. People yeah. are, I remember you can just go up, visit my personal page. You can find my phone number on there. Right? I don't. <laughs> like growing up, they told us never, ever, ever use your real name online. Whatever mm. you do, pick a name and your screen name should not be even closely related to who you are as a person. Like no <laughs> way to trace it back to you. And now we're like, here's my name. Here's where I am right now at this moment in case you want to come find me. <laughs> it's it's crazy. And then you consider the large-scale aspect of it as well, where, 
I mean, cyber attacks, cyber crime is going to be like that's where those are the, the next wars are going to be fought at that end. Where yeah. you break into a country's infrastructure and shut down power, then you're running into shut some, down power. You shut down their financial systems. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's just it causes chaos. Is mm-hmm. is basically what they're going to try to do. They're going to try to make you rip yourself apart. Right. Yeah. And in Netrunner, you're trying to bring down the big bad mega corporations. Yeah, that's right. So it all comes back to Netrunner. Always Everything does. comes back to Netrunner. Always does. <laughs> well, do you got anything else? That's all I got. How about you? I'm good. Netrunner's a great game. Uh, definitely check it out. Buy the, the main starter pack, and that's where you can get your, your four corporations and your three main ones. It's a great uh, three hackers. But, yeah, it's a fantastic bargain. And then, of course, if you love it uh, as much as Spencer does, mm-hmm. then you'll definitely go out and get the expansions. Right. It's a great two-player game. Uh, especially if you and and somebody else is real are really into it, there's a lot of different combos and a lot of replay value. And then of course you can switch it up, and be the corp and the other person be the hacker, and you might have exactly. a different strategy. It's a lot of fun. But uh, but if that's it, um, thank you guys for listening. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, or if you want to hack us, no, no let's not do that. <laughs> Just send an email to beyondtheboardpodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter or Instagram at goingbtb. That's BTV for uh, uh, being the best at hacking. Mm-hmm. Uh, stretch to that one. <laughs> or uh, you can hit that subscribe button on iTunes or any other uh, podcast forums that you actually get your podcasts from yeah leave us a review we yeah. really really that means a lot it helps a lot so any kind of review or feedback would be super super appreciated that'd be awesome um yeah any kind of review any kind of feedback we don't exactly. care even if it's a bad one <laughs> it'll look like we're real exactly <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so I'll get my hack diggity on and hack into this sandwich that I've been waiting to eat. Because it's sitting here. 